inside headed, knocked away both three on two. Outlaw running hard against Ron Harper, and Hart puts it in. Scotty starts to penetrate, now backs it off. Quick pass inside, Hart got it, Connolly's foul. If you ever want to argue that stats don't tell a full story, you can always point to Ron Harper. Harper was the starting point guard by title during the Bulls' second three-peat. And when you look at his points, rebounds, and assists per game during those seasons, they certainly don't wow you. But they also don't capture the type of player he was with the Bulls. Prior to arriving in Chicago, Harper was an all-star caliber shooting guard with the Cleveland Cavaliers and Los Angeles Clippers, averaging almost 20 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals per game. Even after a devastating knee injury put his career in jeopardy at age 26, he still bounced back strong with four very productive seasons. While he enjoyed success in his 20s, Harper was dying to join a winner. At 31, he signed with the Bulls prior to the 1994-95 season, hoping to fill a void at the shooting guard spot. At the start, things were a bit rocky, and it appeared Harper's age and trick knee were starting to catch up. However, with Jordan back in the fold, Harper eventually found his niche. During the final three Bulls championships, Harper was slotted in at the starting point guard spot. While not the traditional floor general, he was the perfect complement in the backcourt, allowing Jordan and Scottie Pippen to handle most of the ball handling duties. With Jordan and Harper at 6'6", and Pippen at 6'7", the Bulls' length gave plenty of teams fits on the defensive end. While his offensive skills were no longer what they used to be, Harper still had the ability to lock down a speedy point guard or bang around with stronger forwards. Hardaway. Harp! Oh, and he played the lane beautifully that time on Hardaway. Ronnie going coast to coast. Oh, yeah! Ronnie Harper with eight points in his quarter, ten in a game. Following the Bulls' second three-peat, he spent another season in Chicago before reuniting with Phil Jackson. Harper won two more titles with the Los Angeles Lakers in 2000 and 2001, starting at point guard in a lineup that featured Hall of Famers Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. While he might not have been the flashy guard he was earlier in his career, Harper never lost his competitive edge. He sacrificed scoring and stat stuffing to do the dirty work, whether it was hard-nosed defense or playing off the ball to allow Michael and Scotty to work their magic offensively. Sure, on paper the stats might not impress you, but when you watched Harper play night in and night out, you knew his impact was vital during the final three championships for the Chicago Bulls. All right, so joining me to talk about Ron Harper from Locked On Bulls and Bulls Outsiders on NBC Sports Chicago is none other than Matt Peck. Matt, how you doing and uh, how are you adjusting to the new normal in life? What's up, Matt? Uh, thanks for having me on again, man. Always a pleasure to chat with you uh, uh, on the Rebuild the Bull podcast. I've been loving some of your recent episodes with my guys Big Dave and Tony Gill. Uh, these underrated uh, Bulls episodes are a lot of fun. Let me just say, before I tell you how I'm doing, I really hope there is not an episode coming where you bring Fred on and let him talk about how underrated Dwayne Wade was. Let's just get that right out of the way. <laughs> we're going to stick with the dynasty first, so we're not going to have to worry about that. Good. Uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm up here at my folks' place in, uh, in Michigan, have been for the last couple of weeks. The whole family's here, including my uh, brother and sister-in-law and my two nieces who live down in Houston, Texas. So, you know, obviously not ideal circumstances to get extra quality time with the little ones, but, uh, you know, it's certainly a nice way to keep my mind occupied. And thankfully, we also got a little, like, you know, uh, 
half-sized outdoor uh, court here with uh, with a basketball hoop. So weather's been cooperating for the most part. You know, usually spring doesn't hit northern Michigan until May, but we've had some nice uh, warm enough days where I can go outside and run around with a basketball for a while. So that that and some quality family time is keeping me sane. But yeah, these are these are strange times, man. Yeah, totally unprecedented and you know, I think we're all trying to adjust to this new normal. Um, thankfully, NBC Sports Chicago has been broadcasting the 96 playoffs, so I know that's helping me through this a lot and really was the inspiration behind this. So kudos to the, the network you you represent. I, I appreciate what they're doing. Well, hey, man, uh, I, I mean, I, I can't take the credit, although as soon as we started to realize that the NBA might be shut down and then realized how long it might be shut down, John and, and Big Dave, my guys, and I started spitballing ideas, and that was definitely one of them. It's like, dude, let's just throw throw on Bulls games from from back in the day. It's like, I mean, this is so many of those classics are NBA on NBC, right? We theoretically have the rights to this content if we want to use it. Throw on a, a, an old game, an old series, and and let's do some some outsiders content out of that. So. Obviously, right out of the gate, you know, credit to them for for launching this Bulls Rewind and and coinciding with the Blackhawks uh, Cup run in 2010, you know, alternating nights. Mm -hmm. It's been really fun to watch some of these great Bulls and Blackhawks games. They've added the White Sox to the mix recently. Um, You know, I'm I'm sitting here, as we're recording this, we're between games one and two of the conference final series against Orlando. And I was watching game one with my brother last night up here, just going crazy, like watching Rodman battle Shaq in the post and watching the Bulls fast break when run with us actually meant something. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I can tell you that uh, there will be a retro Outsiders episode coming following the Game 4 uh, sweep clincher against Orlando. And oh, uh, What? You spoiled it. You spoiled it. I what? didn't know there was going to be a sweep. Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did we not know that part of Bulls history? <laughs> Of course it was a sweep. They were out for revenge, man. Those stupid Orlando magic. Um, and yeah, we're going to do an Outsiders episode after they uh, clinch the title against Seattle, too. Um, so hopefully we can do more of that kind of fun content, some retro content. Nothing's official yet, but it sounds like they are working towards doing something very similar for the 98 playoff run to coincide with uh, the Last Dance documentary being pushed up. So. Lots of content from the good old days for those of us who who feel nostalgia for for good basketball. Yeah, no, and I mean, I I do kind of miss hearing the perspective of the Bulls outsiders about the current state of the team, but you know what, this will do, and it's it's a lot more fun to reminisce about the good times. So I, I yeah, guess I think I think sixty five games of that was about enough for us and for everybody. <laughs> that season was tough, man. Well, yeah, when we start getting into the debates about Kobe White starting and. You know, determining if really Laurie Markkinen, you know, has regressed or not. I mean, it, it got exhausting. So it, it is nice to kind of relive this. And um, when I pitch this idea out to different people, you know, I, I let people choose which role player they wanted. But I already knew you were somebody who's been a big Ron Harper fan because I know you've always said he's one of the most underappreciated Bulls from the Dynasty era. So I'm going to give the floor to you to explain to listeners why you think Ron Harper is an underappreciated role player from the dynasty. Thank you, man. I appreciate the floor and I will gladly take it. Um, To me, uh, to put it simply, it's something that Ron Harper actually replied to a tweet of mine about when I was giving him credit. Uh, And this is back when Fred and I were doing our Mad vs. Fred uh, debate episode of Outsiders over the off season last summer. 
And one of the topics was underrated bulls. And of course I went with Ron Harper. Fred went with, you know, with, with his uh, bromance boy, uh, Ben Gordon, which is a decent answer. Um, mm-hmm. But what, you know, we were going back and forth on Twitter and then Ron Harper uh, who I think our pal Gustavo, who, you know, throws all of those great outsiders clips on Twitter for us. Cause he's, you know, he, he's our agent. Uh, <laughs> he tagged Ron Harper as part of the conversation and Harp responded with like, Hey man, I just wanted to win. And I think that sums it up so beautifully because most of my argument for why he's underrated is what he sacrificed when he came here, because starting mm-hmm. from his rookie season with the Cavs in 86, 87, his rookie year, he started all 82, not just played, mm-hmm. started all 82, averaged nearly 20 shot attempts a game and was averaging 23 points a game. And through his Cavs years and even through his Clippers years, he was the go-to guy on, yes, some bad teams, but the guy on those teams and averaging upwards of 35, 36, 37 minutes a game, you know, all, shot attempts per game, always in the mid to high teens averaging points per game in the mid to high teens the season before coming to the bulls in 94 95 his final season with the clippers he averaged 20 points a game playing uh 37 minutes his usage percentage was through the roof it was i believe uh 25 and a half was his usage percentage his final season with the clippers he comes to the bulls and even before mj comes back he takes the back back seat to pip and horace and his usage percentage drops to 18.8 his first year with the bulls then MJ mm-hmm. comes back for the full 95-96 season. That dips down even further to 14.7. Instead of playing 38 minutes a night, he's playing like 22, 23. Yeah. And he's still bringing it on the defensive end, and he's making the buckets when the Bulls need a big-time bucket. He was just all about winning. And, man, with, with MJ and Scotty and Harp, that, that one through three perimeter defense is one of the greatest the league has ever seen. And you see that when you watch these old 96 playoff games that just how stifling the defense was, and Harp was a big part of that. Oh, totally. And, you know, just to illustrate the point you're making, too, if you just take the first seven years of his career, he's averaging 19 points a game, 19.3 points a game, almost five assists, five rebounds. And, you know, you called it out there, too. He was always a very pesky defender. In fact, if you go back to 1989, um, when the Bulls play the Cavaliers in the first round of the playoffs, the the series where Jordan hit the shot over Elo right. and they they advanced to the second round, game five on the road, no, yeah, yep. Harper was a pesky defender against MJ that series. So anytime Harper got matched up on Michael, you know he gave him fits, and Ron Harper maintained that defensive intensity when he got to Chicago, and even through the the knee issues that he he suffered, he had a knee injury in the early nineties. And, you know, it's, it sort of got worse as time went on, but he managed through that. And you're right. Those Bulls teams, you know, especially with what you're seeing now on NBC Sports Chicago, it reminds you just how tenacious they were and how they really reinvented positionless basketball because of that. Like they brought that into the forefront, I should say, that that ability to kind of have this, you know, three wing lineup because you had Harp at 6-6, Michael at 6-6, Scotty at 6-7. It was just a long backcourt that you had to deal with when you were playing against the Bulls then. Yeah. And, you know, he, he uh, quickly picked up the triangle when he came on board and it's not easy to be the backcourt mate of Michael Jordan, um, mm-hmm. you know, throughout MJ's career, you know, Pax figured out how to do it pretty, pretty well. Uh, but being the, the score first guy that he was before coming here and then being like, all right, well, like 
technically I'm the point guard, but uh, MJ's bringing the ball up a lot. MJ's handling the ball a lot. He found those ways to be effective in that triangle offense and to, you know, sees the best of his opportunities. And it's just, he always seemed like a guy who would hit a big bucket when the Bulls needed one and it wasn't coming from MJ or Scotty. Uh, you know, like timely buckets always like were the thing that, that rang out to me with, with Ron. He was never a great shooter, you know, even when he was scoring more before coming to Chicago, but just big buckets and timely buckets. And then, as you said, on the defensive end, man, just tenacious. Obviously, he didn't have the steal numbers with the Bulls that he had earlier in his career. You mentioned the series, the Bulls-Cavs series. In those early seasons with the Cavs, he was averaging over two steals a game, like for the first four mm-hmm. seasons of his career, which is crazy. With the Bulls, that dipped down a little bit. But his, his overall defensive rating, like his defensive box plus minus spanning those three titles, 96-98, was a 1.9. If you look at his yeah. playoff numbers – it goes up to 2.8. He increases his defensive box plus minus by almost a whole point. 69 steals and 39 blocks in those three playoff runs. And then you mentioned uh, a bit of an injury issue earlier in his career. The other thing to me that Harv doesn't get enough credit for, MJ gets credit for this. Scotty doesn't because Scotty didn't achieve this. Dennis, in his old age, didn't achieve this. When you talk about the staples of that second three-peat, what do people say, especially Bulls fans, who are just so sick and tired of all these injuries, especially to our key players, one of the best qualities a player can have is availability. Ron Harper, in his 30s, in those Bulls three-peat seasons, played in 296 of a possible 304 games, and he started in 292 of those. I mean, talk about consistency. Yeah, and when you go to uh, the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals. And I think I've brought this up to you over Twitter a few times when you've brought up Harper. That, to me, was like his signature moment um, in the second three-peat. In that series, if you recall, they put Scotty on Mark Jackson, and they slid Harper over to Reggie Miller in a lot of cases. So Reggie actually struggled in the first two games of that series when Harper was matched up on him. And... You still saw at that age, at that point he's 34 years old, and he was able to give Reggie Miller a ton of fits. And I think, you know, that was crucial because you remember that was a series where the home team won each Gary. game. It yeah, was. Home team it won was, all it, games. It went seven, and MJ guaranteed victory in game seven. And I remember yeah. Big Dave and I were just talking about this on an Outsiders pod recently, like when you started to feel like, okay, the last dance thing is for real, and this might be the last chance we get at this. It was the first real sense of nervousness when the mm-hmm. Bulls were playing the Pacers in that conference final series because you're like, oh, my God, like, are we are we actually going to lose this? Is it possible mm-hmm. that we might lose this? And I, as memory serves, the Bulls were actually trailing for a while in that seventh game. Um, and, you know, Reggie Miller just would not go away that whole series. Um, but, yeah, I mean, dude. Ronnie stepped up big in that series. Well, and, you know, the thing that I remember about that series, too, was, um, you know, in Game 7, you mentioned the the deficit. Michael and Scotty, they single-handedly wanted to take that game. And, you know, Ron Harper was a a big key in Game 7 because, again, he he was cross-matched on Reggie Miller, and Reggie Miller struggled shooting the ball in Game 7. So it was was a very – tense series I remember that game seven and you know I was I was younger but I do remember that game seven and feeling very uneasy knowing that this this really could be it 
And um, yeah, that would have changed. I think that would have changed the course of history. Imagine if the Chicago Bulls, humor me for a minute. Imagine if the Chicago Bulls, if the dynasty teams would have ended with an Eastern Conference playoff loss in 1998. Like that would have been the most gut-wrenching way for that whole thing to end because then you know what happens that summer. So that would have been... That would have been horrific, I think, for a lot of Bulls fans if it had just ended with bowing out to a, a Pacers team like that. Yeah, I mean, you wonder the different uh, hypothetical roads that that may have created. Does MJ walk away if they, in fact, lose that Game 7 to Indiana? Point. Uh, or does he come back and say, i got to win one more. I can't go out like this. Because then that, of course, raises the question of, well, even if MJ wanted to come back, and, and there, you know, there are some accounts, MJ himself, saying, like, I, I was open to coming back and playing one more season. Obviously, the lockout complicated things, but most the, the biggest complication was the relationship between Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson. And, and that's why Phil Jackson named that season the last dance before it even began. Because Krause mm-hmm. said, I don't care if you go 82-0 and and win another title, you're done after this year. So even, like, if the Bulls get bounced, maybe they don't have that opportunity because they had already you know, had this uh, predetermined decision that, this is it. And mm-hmm. then if you're not talking about two neatly wrapped up three-peats, six titles in eight years, MJ being 6-0 and in the finals, do you talk about that Bulls team being one of the greatest dynasties in professional sports, let alone the NBA? Do you talk about mm-hmm. MJ being like, is his title of the GOAT a little bit more weak? Is, is there more wiggle room there? Does somebody like LeBron or whomever else rival him because instead of being – 6-0 in the finals, he's 5-0 and and ended his career on a playoff loss in the conference final. It, and it's it's crazy. Like, he, all those hypotheticals do come into play. Uh, one thing, just to kind of go back to Ron Harper with, with that series, um, you know, he was always a guy that usually was floating around that, like, 25-minute mark in that series because of his defense. Um, he, was, he was playing close to, like, 34, 35 minutes a game in the Eastern Conference Finals that year. In fact, he played exactly, in all seven games, um, 32 minutes a game. So it just goes to show you like how vital his defense was um, in that series. One other thing, though, like about Ron Harper, we talked about early in his career, you know, just how dynamic he was as a scorer, what he brought in terms of a, a, you know, playing a two-guard early in the league. If he had maybe maintained his health and... You know, maybe another a player was off the, the second 3P. Let's say Tony Kukoc wasn't around. Do you think he would have had a, a much more impactful role on the offensive end if that was the case? Um, I mean, it's possible, although and, – and Phil did tinker with the lineups a little bit. And, like, you know, sometimes he would have Tony instead of Robin in the starting lineup, and Tony kind of mm-hmm. wavered between being sixth man, you know, having actually, you know, been – awarded six man of the year and a, a occasional starter. Um, whereas Ron was basically always a starter. It, to me, it's, it's similar to the, the crazy, you know, never ending seemingly Kobe white debate that Bulls fans have had all season long. And that Jim Boylan has had with the media. Do you take a person who thrives in the bench role and try and shove them into a starting lineup because they're playing well, or, do you, you know, let let the situation just kind of simmer and let people blossom where they blossom? With Tony, I think Phil always really uh, just completely 
prioritized um, in, in a you know in a way that only the genius Phil can when to make Tony the focal point of the offense, like say when MJ and or Scotty were getting a rest, like you, ne- you almost never saw MJ and Scotty both off the floor at the same time. But if you did, you bet your ass Tony Kukoc was out there. Um, to me, that's kind of what separates Ron. It was like, I don't know if you take Tony out of the equation, Ron would have been a bigger piece offensively because uh, for the most part, if you take Tony out, you just have a weaker bench. And I think that, that, um, Phil knew how valuable Ron was as that middle part of the perimeter defense with, with Scotty and MJ that he, he could like, if he were to take Ron out of the starting lineup, Hey, who do you put in there instead? If you're taking Tony out of this equation uh, to, to let like Ron thrive offensively, I think Phil knew that the best way that Ron could serve his, his role was of course, first and foremost, bringing on the defensive end and then just being a, fluid part of the triangle and and being a supporting scorer when called upon but for the most part just being a savvy veteran player who's going to make the right play so after the second three-peat of course in 1999 he did stay with the Chicago Bulls it was a very forgetful season but he was one of the few Bulls from that dynasty run to still be on the team but then he joined the Los Angeles Lakers at 36 in the year 2000 and was the starting point guard on those teams and it's kind of amazing, you know, you think about that. He won five titles in a span of six years after being somebody that, after he left Cleveland, you know, really didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. In fact, I think he never got out of the first round of the playoffs until he got to Chicago. But he went on to, to have two pretty decent seasons in L.A., especially in that first year. You know, he was the starting point guard uh, in the backcourt with Kobe and did have a pretty crucial role um, within the postseason, especially in the finals against those same Pacers that he matched up with in 1998. Um, So pretty impressive that he still went on at an advanced age to be a key contributor on a title team. Yeah, it's crazy because what, you know, the first thing I think of when you talk about, oh yeah, uh, Ron went and and won some titles uh, with the Lakers after the Bullston. Like I always think about players who used to be rivals and then become teammates and, and, and go on and win titles elsewhere because uh, not only are, you know, we're watching these 96 playoff games right now and on, on NBC Sports Chicago, of course, like Rodman coming into the fold, making that trade for Purdue with the Spurs was like, well, this was a part of the bad boy Pistons that Bulls fans hated and were afraid of and disrespected. And he's a dirty player. And now he's like, you know, dating weird people and piercings and tattoos. And like, there was a little bit of like, whoa, is, they, are we really, is this the guy we're bringing in? And you even have that amazing story about how, when Phil wanted to make that trade happen and they're all, you know, hanging around at the house and it's like, you know, Dennis, do you want to be a bull? And as Dennis recounted, he said, I don't give a damn, but you know, I'm fine. And then they said, you know, we need, we need you to go do one thing first. And, and, and Dennis was like, what's that? We need you to go in the living room and apologize to Scotty Pippen. Cause you know, Dennis was just awful to Scotty in those bull yes, Pistons series. And uh, like Harper having second life with the Lakers. I, I, I hated the Lakers as you know, someone who was a diehard NBA fan and a diehard Bulls fan after the dynasty ended, because I felt betrayed by Phil Jackson, because I <laughs> felt threatened by Kobe Bryant, who was like the new hot shit, pardon my language, and that Phil was like, all right, well, on to the next. But I was happy for Ron, because I always loved and appreciated what he did for the Bulls. And it's like, he's not the only one. You think about who the Bulls are playing in these 96 Rewind Conference Finals right now, and the Horace Grant as an Orlando Magic guy getting carried off the court 
by his teammates mm-hmm. when they ousted the Bulls in 95. And then Horace, before he hangs him up, goes and wins again with the Lakers. Yeah, he did. He, Yeah, that's right. Horace was traded to L.A. in 2001. He was a starting power forward on that Lakers team. Um, he started and, 77 games. Yeah. And it is amazing. Like, there was that kind of uh, – that effect with with the Bulls too. I remember like Wennington too. Like he didn't win a title, but I remember he went over and played with those Sacramento teams. Um, it is like Rodman actually was a Laker. He wasn't with Phil Jackson, but I remember he was a Laker in '99 during the lockout season. Um, right. It did not go to, well. <laughs> that did not go well at all. And then I think he he fizzled out in Dallas. But um, yeah, yeah, I, it, I, it I is, think he played like ten games in Dallas, and then that was and it. Then yeah, he was he was done. But um, yeah, no, I, I remember though that that Lakers team, and you know who was another bowl, former bowl, that was on that two thousand Lakers team, and it's a very obscure former bowl. Uh, former bowl on the two thousand Lakers team. Can't Google it, Matt. <laughs> I'm not. I, I I won't Google it. I promise. Hmm. Um, I'll give you a hint. He's more, he he he's probably more um, remembered for being a piston. Remembers for being a pit. Uh, was it uh, John Sally or James Edwards? Too old. It was John. It was John Sally. John Sally came out of retirement and just basically played the end of the the season with the Lakers in two thousand. Oh my! It was God. just that's amazing. You know, I love, I've got a phone I love call how from the Phil probably. Found all these ancient and uh, like the half half their legs left veteran big men for this oh my God. repeat run. Because it's like, John not only Sally. did you have the former bad boy Piston Rodman, but you added Sally, you added James Edwards, and then like they did it again the next year, but instead of going back to the graveyard of Detroit, they went to the graveyard of Boston and brought in Robert, Robert Parrish. Parrish. Yes. I, there's this one play that I always remember about the 97 season when um, Michael gets a steal and Robert Parrish was like just – coming down the court, he hadn't come back defensively. You know, he hasn't he hasn't come down the court yet, and Michael gets a steal, gets it about half court, and, and Robert Parrish is just slowly trotting along, and Michael hands it to Parrish, like, go ahead, finish it, and Parrish hands it back, and Michael gives it back to him again, goes, no, go ahead. And Parrish just, like, does this weak, weak flush at the basket. But, yeah, it it is funny. Like, there was just some weird kind of – pieces that were on that bench i think that's why i wanted to do this series because there's so many interesting small pieces like that on the bulls like one thing that we're going to get to um kind of a spoiler alert i i won't you might be able to figure out what guest might pick this player but we we might be talking about brian williams in a couple weeks now that's a really obscure role player that i think uh you know, especially if you're a younger Bulls fan that wasn't as familiar with the, the, the dynasty days, that's one that's uh, interesting to learn about. He is a fascinating story. And I, I remember, like, loving him when the Bulls brought him in because they brought him in late in the season. Um, yes. You know, I think, like, towards that, that deadline of when you can bring guys in and have them on your active playoff roster, I think he played, like, maybe a dozen or so regular season games with those 96-97 Bulls. But then he had big minutes in the playoffs. Uh, of that uh, 97 title run, you know, we're, we're joking about Robert Parrish. The dude could barely walk. Like when it came to front court depth, it was Brian Williams behind Luke Longley. Um, yeah. And uh, it was actually just brought up in a recent uh, Casey Johnson mailbag for com 
earlier this week, I think, somebody asking you know, to get KC's perspective on the whole Brian Williams slash Bison delay story because uh, KC was already on the beat back then uh, mm-hmm. as a slightly younger man covering the second three-peat because his, his story has a tragic ending you know, where he goes yeah. out and he, he walks away from a huge NBA contract. You know, he plays well with the Bulls, earns a big contract with the Pistons, and then it's just like, man, you know what? I don't need this. Tens of millions of dollars, whatever. And he was uh, a cultured man, music, art, all these things that, that you found out about what interested him off the court. And then he set sail on a catamaran with his brother and his girlfriend and a skipper, and only his brother returns. Like, yeah. weird, yeah. weird stuff. Yeah, and it was a really tragic ending. And you're right, he was a very cultured guy. His The interesting story about him, and I, I don't want to get too much into him because no, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil this episode of yours that you're planning for later. <laughs> but his father was the lead singer of uh, the Platters. His dad was the uh, was part of that group. He wasn't the lead singer. He was part of the the group, the Platters. So he kind of grew up around just you know he had a pretty good upbringing. And so his perspective on basketball was completely different than than most people because he truly did not give a crap. Um, to him, it was just a fun game to play. And you kind of saw that he never really lived up to his potential early on. And just, you know, he, he had that run with the Bulls in the playoffs and, you know, found a a nice career with the Pistons for a couple of seasons before he decided to hang him up. But he's definitely an interesting story. I can't wait to get to that. Um, and I feel bad that we're not we're not talking about Harp. See, he's so underappreciated that we even switch topics. Well, I know, but I, it's like, we. I mean, I feel like, you know, we talk about what he did for that three-peat series, talk about how he even got a couple more rings with the Lakers. But it's it's so true. It's like there are so many storylines from that second three-peat. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially – and that's why I think everybody's so fascinated for the last dance. You know, this doc that we're getting pushed up to April. God bless ESPN. It's about time they Thank gave you. that to us. Um, there, You know, on the court, it was the MJ and Scotty show. And then Rodman was the crazy – you know, in-game entertainment. And Tony was the exciting, you know, Euro player, sixth man. And then even like some of the role players, like Steve Kerr and Bushler off the bench, getting the love for being like the white guys who can come in and knock down some threes, play some tough <laughs> nose defense. Steve Kerr owned the fourth quarter of game one, Bulls Magic that I just watched last night. Like owned the fourth quarter. It was amazing. <laughs> Ron Harper was just there doing his job. Like to me, when I think of Ron Harper, I think of Tom Thibodeau. Just is like, do your job. And the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice of the player he was turning into in the prime years of his career in, you know, in, in Clipperland. And he was like, nah, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll go to the Bulls and, I'll, and I'll, I'll try winning. And that's another interesting thing that has come out recently, and I think it was something that uh, the amazing Bulls historian Jack Silverstein was uh, t- talking about recently the the Scotty wanting out part of the Bulls 90s years and talking to Ron Harper and Ron Harper being like, yo, dude, if you think this is bad and you think you're being untreated, you know, you're being poorly treated and this is torture and this is hell and you'd rather be anywhere else, I dare you to go play for the Clippers. Like, Ron saw what being the number one option on a bad team with a bad culture was and said – I think I'll take a cut in minutes. I'll take a cut in attention. I'll take a cut in scoring and possessions and being the guy 
to go to a winning culture so I can try and win some championships as a member of a team where it's not about me, but I am a part of the team and I'm going to do my job. All right. So um, I think this is a good point to put a bow on the conversation on Ron Harper. So um, I'm having each guest do this. So it's, it's kind of a hokey question, but if you had to describe in one sentence, Ron Harper's impact on the bulls, how would you describe it? If Ron Harper doesn't come to the bulls, there is no second three-peat. I truly believe that. I mean, I, I don't disagree with it. I think his impact, and we've talked about the defensive impact, and I think that is so underrated to what that second three-peat was. Because, I mean, as good as they were offensively, I mean, they could stop any other team in their tracks because of just the length they had and, and the defensive pressure they could put on you. So I mean, I, I don't they're, think they're playing a Shaq accurate. and Penny team right now. And holding them to laughable point totals. And they did to everybody. They did it to the Utah Jazz in the finals, that one game where they held the Jazz to like 54 points or whatever. Yeah. And that was at the end of the second three-peat run when they did that. Like, that defense, you forget how good it was, but then you remember how good it was, and you're like, oh, that's why this team won 72 games. Yeah, MJ was really good at scoring buckets. And Scotty was a great Robin to a Batman, and Dennis was an amazing replacement for Horace, what they needed, the rebounding, the toughness, and they filled out the bench again really well. Credit to Jerry Krause for basically creating two rosters that were completely different other than MJ and Scotty. They were, mm-hmm. other than MJ and Scotty, completely different rosters that won titles in both of those three-peats. But, I mean, that defense is what made that team arguably the greatest team ever. Well said. And before I let you go, you know, I definitely appreciate you hopping on, by the way, over the phone in in Michigan. So thank you so much. But you should know that this is your third appearance on the Rebuildable podcast. So you have joined uh, Big Dave Watson, Tony Gill, and C. Red Fred as members of the Three Timers Club. So congratulations. Wow. Um, Uh, Thank you. I I am truly humbled and honored to be a member of the three timers club. Um, I, I gotta say if, if it had to be that you you brought Fred in to the three timers club before me, it just means that you save the best for last. Uh, but when it comes to big Dave and Tony Gill, man, nobody better to have kicking off that three timers club. And although we may differ in our opinions and we don't see eye to eye, I got a lot of love in my heart from a pal to yeah. red I mean, he, he, at the end of the day, he is a very, uh, very good guy. He's a good guy. Gotta He's love the him. best, man. He's just wrong a lot. You know? It's like, you could be a good guy and be very confident wrong. about things that are mostly wrong. I did love that you called him out on how he does Twitter polls. Um, oh, my I've God. Been noticing that that for was a long my time. favorite thing of the week. It was like, because he always does these polls where it's like, which Bulls player is this or which season was that? And you always can tell that Fred thinks that he has what he believes to be the right answer as one of the possible choices. And most often the poll does not go how he wants it to go, <laughs> including no. the most recent one that was like, what was it? The, your three favorite bulls from 2003 and beyond. So of course it's like D Rose, Joakim and Jimmy and who's number four. And the options were uh, Ben Gordon, of course, his guy, Kirk, Luol Dang and Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. He wanted the correct answer among Bulls fans to be Ben Gordon. Ben Gordon finished dead last in that poll. And the correct answer, which I voted for, which won the poll, handily 
was Lou Alding. He does the lopsided explanation too. I've noticed where if it's if it's a choice between A and B, like if A is the answer he wants, he'll over-explain it and then kind of say or B. You know what I mean? Like he kind of sets it up sometimes like that. Like he he definitely wants you to to be on his side. But we love right. Fred. We still love him. We still we love, love him. Fred. Now, and and you know what? Bulls Twitter would not be what it is, and this fan base would not be what it is without a guy like that. Well, he he's a Bulls Twitter Hall of Famer, but. With you being part of the Three Timers Club, Matt, one thing you get to do, we don't have fancy gifts, we don't have, you know, smoking jackets, nothing Smoking nothing jackets. Cool. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I have no budget. I, I make that, I mean, look, I'm, I'm using hey, a man, snowball I, mic. Jordan and I have been running Locked On for, uh, you know, two going on three years now. We know what it's like. The budget is minimal. <laughs> exactly. So what I what I can offer you, though, is you get to pick a guest to come on Rebuildable in the near future. So whoever you want. It can be somebody that's uh, a, a journalist that I got to do some, some digging and, and book them. But um, it's up to you. Who do you want to be on the Rebuildable podcast before the end of the year? Ooh man! And so, is should this 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 should be somebody who it's for them their first time appearing on the Rebuildable podcast? It can be, yeah. I, I try to I try to go that route. Yeah. Ooh. Um. Well, my my instinct would be to say one of my uh, incredibly entertaining colleagues, not Big Dave and John, but. Any of the trio of Kendall Gill, Will Purdue, and Jason Goff. Have you had any of those guys on yet? Like I said, I don't have a budget, and uh, I don't have those connections yet. So I'm, I, I can try <laughs> to make that happen. I might well, need hey, man, I mean, broker that. You're, uh, you're one degree of separation away. Um, this is true. And I actually, I just hit up Kendall and Will to come on Locked On next week. Uh, so maybe we'll do that, and then we'll give them a little bit of time. And then, uh, and then I'll hook him up and uh, and have him ha- hook you up and have him come on your show. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk turkey offline and kind of see how that can work. But all right, we'll we'll try. We'll try somebody from the the pre and post. Yeah, I feel like you know we we got to represent. We got to hold things down. We're you know we're we're pro- providing Bulls fans with content over here at NBC Sports Chicago. Man, I gotta I gotta rep my guys. <laughs> there you go. All right. Or, well, I mean, speaking of, have you had Jordan Malley, my co-host and producer of Locked on Bulls, on yet? Well, uh, the first ever Rebuildable episode, he was the the guest. He was the first person to present a rebuilding plan. That's um, right. That's right. I, I remember that now. I, uh, Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, you should have him back on whenever. Um, yeah. And you should also, he's, you know, he's working at 670 to score these days. You should uh, talk to him and see uh, who all over there at 670 who likes talking bulls might want to come on the show. We just had uh, Rick Camp on uh, the other day. We did a uh, starting five snake draft of the best Jim Boylanisms. And by best, of course, we mean worst. Um, And it was a lot of fun. I saw that. I'm definitely going to give it a listen. I had seen some stuff on Twitter about it. So I got to check it out. All right, so no, we'll, we'll we'll make it happen. I like it. You, you you're coming with multiple ideas. I I, I dig it. So, um, as always, Matt, it's it's always a pleasure to have you on, and and hopefully we can have you on with some better circumstances, and maybe actually talk about some current Bulls basketball. Regrettably, uh, let's 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 hope so. And uh, you know, Matt, I I really appreciate you having me on for the third time. I feel honored. Uh, you are doing wonderful work as a member of the Bulls podcast family. I really enjoy 
the the new and interesting ways that that you create pod, uh, podcast content uh, with Rebuildable because it's really creative. Uh, it's fun to listen to and it's fun to be a part of. So uh, keep up the great work, man, and, and stay safe. All right, thanks, and your checks in the mail. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts.